Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Hi, honey. Hi. (laughs) Okay, so we're just going to dive right into an update on one of our previous cases, which was episode four, and it was the case of Kenneth and Christy Manzanares. Do you remember that? Is that the cruise ship murder? That is the cruise ship murder. A lot has come out within the last couple weeks. There's some big things that have happened. And so I wanted to kind of give an update and then we're just going to say goodbye to this case. Cool. Okay. So Kenneth murdered his wife of 18 years, Christy Manzanares, in July of 2017 on an Alaskan cruise. Kenneth had beat his wife in their stateroom. She died from blunt force trauma to the head. They were celebrating their 40th birthdays and their 18 years of marriage with family and friends. Now, this year in February of 2021, Kenneth pled guilty to second degree murder. In June of 2021, Kenneth was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau, Alaska. Now, this past Wednesday, July 17th, 2021, Kenneth was found unresponsive in his cell. Kenneth died moments later. He was 43. It does not look like foul play, nor was his death COVID related. Oh, well, that's something anyway. That is something. Now, I had just read an article, and I forgot to write down what that article was, so I apologize. But he was on medication for a traumatic brain injury that he had years ago. With that medication and with alcohol, it can cause not good things. So So side effects include murdering your wife. Yeah, murderous rage. On your cruise ship excursion. Right. And I had never read that before. And so this particular article said that that might have contributed to her death and that might have contributed to his death. I don't know if that's for sure the truth, but it sounded very reasonable. This is being investigated by the FBI since he was in a federal prison. And I'm sure someday soon we will know exactly what he died from. But wow, I'm kind of over this case. Yeah, I just wanted to give our listeners an update. And man, we had recorded that so long ago. I know it feels like a lifetime ago. In that particular episode, we really want I really wanted to lighten up the case by talking about all of our cruise experiences. If you really want to listen to a podcast that did a really good job on this case, it's a podcast I listen to all the time and they're called Suspicious. And they did a great job doing this case. I would recommend going and listening to them. All right. So we bid adieu to the Kenneth and Christy Manzanares case. That's it. Thank you to everybody who texted me or emailed us or sent us messages on Instagram saying, did you get this? Did you see this? Yes, we saw it. And so thank you for being our listeners and for remembering the cases that we did. We couldn't do it without you. Nope. It's awesome. So, Daniel. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the case of Michael and Cindy Reese. Michael and Cindy. Are you ready for this? Sure. (laughs) On the night of Wednesday, February 18th, 
2015, a call came into the Jefferson County Police Department in Morris, Alabama around 8 p.m. 40-year-old Cindy Reese was on the line saying that she thought her house had been broken into and she couldn't find her husband. Cindy's house just happened to be located directly across the street from the police department. In a matter of seconds, police were at her home. They found Cindy out in front of her house refusing to go in. Police entered with guns drawn, not knowing what they were walking into. As soon as they entered the front door, an officer spotted the body of 40-year-old Michael Reese. He was on his knees and slumped forward. His legs and backside were easily seen from the front door, through the living room, through to the kitchen, and to where the original back door was open. Michael was in the doorway to the unfinished addition they had been putting on the back of the house. It looked as if Michael was letting the couple's dog out and someone had come up behind him and shot him point blank in the back of the head. Ouch. Michael was pronounced dead on the scene. Investigators began searching the house for anything that would give them answers as to who would do this to Michael. They immediately noticed that there were fast food packages untouched on a small tray table and that the only thing to look out of place was a turned-over coffee table and some paperwork strewn around. The couple's house was under construction, so the home was in a bit of disarray. The lead investigator couldn't shake the feeling that he knew who Cindy Reese was. After a few minutes, he realized that she was the woman who police had been notified was engaged in a sexual act in a vehicle in the parking garage of her place of employment the Jefferson County Employee's Office. But the man in the vehicle was not her husband. It was Michael and Cindy's former pastor, 36-year-old Jeff Brown. Oh, boy. <laughs> yep. That's not good. She was, in, she was in a car doing the down and dirty with her former pastor. Well, God bless him. Michael Reese was born on July 5th, 1974 in Morris, Alabama. Michael grew up Methodist. He was loved by all and the epitome of a small town guy. Michael was smart, a bit of a computer nerd, funny, extremely kind, and he loved fishing. Seems like a good guy. Yeah. Michael worked in IT for St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. Michael had been divorced after five years of marriage, and that breakup had left him shattered. In 2008, Michael was set up with a nice Christian girl named Cindy Henderson. Cindy was an accountant for the Jefferson County Commission and head music director of her church. Cindy had been recently widowed. She had married her first husband in 1995. Cindy's first marriage was troubled from the beginning. Friends think Cindy married her college boyfriend because her father had told her to. Cindy's first husband had shot himself in the head with a shotgun in their home's basement in 2007 after 12 years of marriage. Cindy is the one who had discovered the body. Friends and family thought Michael and Cindy were a perfect match. After a year and a half of dating, the couple were married on September 5th, 2009. They honeymooned at Disney World. Nice. Why would you honeymoon at Disney World? Because <laughs> it's the happiest place on earth. That's what they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Cindy was the music director of her home church called Sardis Baptist Church. Michael rededicated himself to God and was baptized into the Baptist religion. Guess who baptized him? The pastor. Yeah, Pastor Jeff Brown. Michael and Cindy's life revolved heavily around their church, spending Wednesday nights and Sundays in church services and going to different events during the week. Now, this little town of Morris, Alabama, they have a population of a little over 2,000 people, but they have over 100 churches. Wow. Yeah. That seems like a lot of churches for not a lot of people. Yeah. So this town was very... That's very competitive for the churches. It's very competitive. This was a very faith-based community. If you were part of a church, basically your whole social life was this church. Right. So it sounds like he dedicated himself to God and she dedicated herself to the pastor. (laughs) You could say that. Five years into their marriage, they began having marital issues. Michael was spending more and more time on his computer and not really interested in adult aerobics with Cindy anymore. Oh, boy. Cindy turned to her pastor, Jeff Brown, for marital counseling. Wink, wink. Alone. Yeah. She started going to marital counseling alone. You don't do that. You don't. Especially with a pastor. Most pastors are not trained to give counseling, just FYI. They should have a Christian counselor that they can recommend to you. Maybe he told her he was a hands-on counselor. He was very hands-on. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, now you're out of place. I am. More and more, Jeff and Cindy began spending time together, not only counseling, but also working together within the church planning the Sunday sermons, and taking field trips to local Christian bookstores. After a few months, in late 2013, they fell in love. It wasn't only Cindy having this emotional affair. Jeff was also married. Oh, ouch. And making it even worse is they were couple friends. Of course they were. Yeah, like Cindy was friends with his wife, and then Michael and Jeff were friends. The Reese's even babysat the Browns' kids on a regular basis. They should have just become Christian swingers with the pineapple. That's gross. I don't know. I'm just trying to help (laughs) out. No, I mean, that's gross that they were watching their kids and then Cindy and Jeff are banging in the car. Fiddling. Fiddling around. That's different. That's a musical instrument. In spring of 2014, Jeff and Cindy's relationship turned physical. Gossip immediately started, not only within the church, but also around Morris. They were giggly around each other, and church members had seen them around town grabbing lunch and hanging out. And each other. There was even a rumor that Jeff and Cindy were seen by church elders in a small two-person cab of Jeff's work truck. Nice. Getting down and dirty. But here's the thing about that. Jeff and Cindy are not small people. They're actually very large people. Oh, okay. So I can't even imagine, I don't want to imagine, how they finagled that one. In in the car? In the small two-person cab of a truck, getting down oh, and dirty. Oh, boy. There's just flesh all over the place. Oh, just, just flesh. Well, you know, it's, it's okay. People get creative and 
Well, and this was before they were caught in her work parking garage in her car. Hopefully it had tinted windows. Okay. Just big white butts, like pressed smeared, up against. Smeared up against, up against with the, the fogged, fogged up windows. Oh, gross. And a f- fleshy cheek hits the glass. <laughs> the church started asking for Jeff's resignation. Cindy decided to resign and Jeff soon followed suit. Cindy had to tell Michael before he heard the rumors, and he took the confession of the affair rather well. Michael promised to work harder on their relationship and their marriage. What? He even booked them a trip to Disney World as a second honeymoon in celebration of their five years of marriage. Oh, hell no. That's like $20,000 to go to Disney World. So there's no way I would do that knowing he's banging the, she's banging the pastor. No, he should have just taken her to Universal Studios. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She should have taken himself. Screw her. <laughs> yeah. He takes her on the B version of Disney World to church. Universal she's Studios. The, she's the church mattress. She is the church mattress. Not the school mattress. The church mattress. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. The trip did the trick. And it had rekindled their relationship. How could it not? You're at the happiest place on earth. I think we almost really? got divorced when we took our kids to Disney World. <laughs> a trip to Disney World rekindled their relationship? It rekindled their relationship. They must have gone on a slow day when there was no one there. Because when you're standing in a crowd <laughs> and it's 100 degrees out and 89% humidity. Oh. Oh. And you have a mask on? With the mask on. Well, that's and when the, we went. Oh. That's true. Don't if, go if, with the mask on. If they had gone with masks on, they would have just killed each other while they're at the park. Yeah, it would have been easier. Yeah. The couple had even begun talking about and planning for future children. Jeff was pissed. Why? Because Jeff had told his wife about the affair with Cindy and she asked for a divorce, even though she was pregnant with their third child. What? Good for her. She was like, get out. So she's pregnant and he, uh, all right. Yeah. And he's diddling Cindy. While his wife is pregnant with their third kid, and he's pissed yeah. because Cindy and Michael went on a second honeymoon. I like to the Disney fiddling. World. I think we should call it fiddling instead of fiddler on the roof. Be fiddler in the cab. Perfect. All right. Jeff was angry that Cindy didn't follow through on their plans to leave their spouses to be with each other. Jeff even went as far as to approach two coworkers at his moving job if they would kill someone for him in January of 2015, offering up his car and some money as payment after the murder, giving them a description of Michael and even a description of the car Michael drove. They said no and immediately called the police and filed a police report, but they filed it with another police department in another county, so it was never followed up on. Of course not. Why would you follow up on something like that? Right. Someone's just threatening to kill another person. But hey, you know, well, we're just going to put that to the it, bottom of the pile. They'll probably just put it in the rival church drama pile. I bet there is like a rival church box. As soon as you said that, I'm thinking 2,000 people, how many, 100 churches? 2,000 people, 100 churches. 100 churches. That's only 200 people per church. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's not very many. So there has to be some, and, almost like a sibling rivalry but between churches. Yeah, because if you show up and one, one Sunday morning there's only 150 people, you're going to be wondering if Joe's church down the street has 250. 
Right. And you're going to be pissed. That's true. All right. I'll stop. Go ahead. Cindy was brought in for questioning on the night of the murder. She told investigators that Michael had taken Cindy to work that day. She had lunch with Jeff Brown, and then Michael picked her up from work at five. She was playing both sides, this girl. What? The couple went over to Cindy's mom's house to help her with her trash cans since the next day was trash day. They were at church from 6 to 7 p.m. After church, they went through the drive through of a famous Alabama fast food restaurant, Milo's Burgers. They took their food home to eat. As soon as they walked in the house, Cindy remembered that they needed lunch meat and orange juice for the following day and yelled to Michael that she was going down to the Piggly Wiggly and that she'd be right back. Oh, my gosh. I wish we had a Piggly Wiggly here in Bakersfield. There's no way you can go to a Piggly Wiggly and not go, am I going to become overweight shopping at this store? (laughs) Because, I mean, just the name of it, do you think a Wiggly Pig? Yeah. No, I would love to have a Piggly Wiggly here. I think it'd be hilarious. That'd be so fun. Hey, Bakersfield, let's get us a Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Instead of... um, Winco. (laughs) And of course, whenever you went to it, you'd have to have a little bit of an accent too. Yeah, that'd be great. Because you're going to the Piggly Wiggly. Michael had walked towards the back of the house to let their dog in. After going to the pig... Stop. Are you serious? I swear to God. I swear. They call it the pig. They say, I'm going to the pig. Jeff had called Cindy and needed her to meet him at the gas station down the street because he forgot his wallet and needed to borrow $15. Cindy headed home and walked through the front door, noticing the furniture flipped over and paperwork strewn about. Cindy yelled, Michael! Michael, but there was no answer. Cindy did not go past the front door since she had discovered her first husband's body. She was scared to find Michael hurt. So she grabbed the landline phone and went out to the front yard. Did you know that a 911 call begins recording as soon as you are connected? I would assume so. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think most people don't know that. Like as soon as your phone starts ringing, you can hear the ringing and starts recording. Oh, not, you mean before it even connects? Before it even connects. As soon as it starts ringing to 911, it's recorded. Oh, I never knew that. Interesting. Cindy's 911 call catches her saying, my phone is about to die. Was she talking to Jeff or was she talking to herself? After her interview with the police, guess who picked her up from the station? Jeff. Jeff freaking Brown. Sure. Did they get some food on the way? Probably. Jeff was brought in for questioning the day after the murder. He told investigators that he was in love with Cindy and was divorcing his pregnant wife to be with Cindy. He told them he was 50 miles away in Anita, Alabama at his storage unit during the murder. Jeff admitted to hating Michael because he had seen Cindy with bruises on her upper inner thighs and she alluded that Michael physically and sexually abused her. There is absolutely no evidence of that even being remotely true. And it pisses me off when people do that. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to throw a decent, nice guy under the bus. It's probably from him. He's probably like to rub. Well, if you're doing it in a two-person cab, you're you're probably going to have bruises. Yeah, you're going to get beat up pretty good. Especially if you're three to 400 pounds. Yeah, that would be tough. Mm -hmm. Jeff said he became angry and very protective of Cindy, but that Cindy had decided to forgive Michael because that's the Christian way. 
Jeff denied having any role in Michael's murder and police had to let him go. There wasn't enough probable cause to arrest Jeff or Cindy. But guess what was finally given to investigators? What? The police report of Jeff Brown trying to hire a hitman. With that information, police were able to acquire a search warrant for Jeff's apartment, his car, and cell phone records. Within Jeff's apartment, they found the lease agreement to Jeff's apartment and the title of his car. Cindy was the first name on both. Wow. They also found bank statements from a shared bank account between Jeff and Cindy. Cindy was basically funding Jeff's lifestyle. Investigators also subpoenaed their cell phone records. They found X-rated photos and racy texts between Jeff and Cindy. But the smoking gun was the constant communication between Jeff and Cindy within hours of the murder. Data from cell phone towers showed that Jeff was never 50 miles away. Jeff's phone was pinging off a tower within 200 yards of the Reese's home. At 6.57 p.m., Jeff texted Cindy. This is when they're at church. And it says, keep me posted. Church let out at 7 p.m. and Cindy called Jeff at 7.03, keeping an open line for 29 minutes because Michael was in the car with Cindy. Investigators think that the line was open so Jeff could keep tabs on their location. Michael was dead before 8 p.m. Oh, wow. On March 11th, 2015, Jeff and Cindy were arrested for the murder of Michael Reese. They were pulled over in Cindy's car as she and Jeff were driving back to her office after having lunch together. Cindy wasn't in jail for long. She made bail and was out to live her life till her trial began. Cindy refused to bail Jeff out and stopped accepting his phone calls. Oh, wow. (laughs) Jeff got mad. The DA offered Jeff a plea deal, plead guilty to manslaughter, and Jeff would be sentenced to 20 years in prison with the possibility of parole. But there's a catch. He had to turn on Cindy. Jeff started talking. Heck yeah. Jeff told investigators that the murder was Cindy's idea because her family would never accept a divorce. The murder of Michael became Cindy's obsession. She talked about it constantly. Jeff told her he would not murder Michael. Cindy decided to do it herself. Should she shoot him or poison him? She decided on shooting him. So they're more worried about the family looking down on them for divorce than murder. Yeah, you hear that a lot. It's better to murder your spouse than than to divorce your spouse in some Who are these families families that that they hold that much sway? I don't. Like, I mean, I get it if they have, if they're going to, if they get divorced, they lose the $100 million inheritance, then I could see that. Okay, fine. We're not going to get divorced. <laughs> but this is no offense. I mean, this is a little town in Alabama. What are they worried about? I don't know. Oh, all right. Yeah. Jeff told investigators that the murder was Cindy's idea because her family would never accept a divorce. Oh, I already said that. Sorry. Okay. Um... The night of the murder, Cindy had her Bluetooth in and kept Jeff on the line while she and Michael fought. This is what Jeff is saying. Hmm. Jeff heard them get home and heard a pop. Cindy told him to meet her at the gas station. She gave Jeff the thirty-eight revolver and told him to get rid of it. 
Jeff threw the gun out the window of his vehicle as he drove from the gas station to his apartment. The gun has never been found. Cindy turned on Jeff as well. On the stand, she told the jury that Jeff killed Michael. Cindy's attorneys pointed out that the bullet went in Michael's skull in a downward trajectory, meaning someone as tall or taller than Michael had to have shot the gun, and Cindy was three inches shorter than Michael. But then my question is, or was he shot on his knees? Right. That's a good question. The jury wasn't buying it. On December 2nd, 2016, after a five-day trial and a 90-minute jury deliberation, Cindy was found guilty of her husband Michael's murder. On January 11th, 2017, Cindy was sentenced to 40 years in prison with a possibility of parole. Nice. Less than three years into Cindy's sentence, she was moved from Julia Tutwiller Prison for Women to a work release program in Birmingham. Michael's family and friends and the men and women who worked so hard on this case were never told that Cindy was living a short distance from all of them. Oh, wow. There was a huge backlash and Cindy was sent back to the prison. Cindy's first parole consideration will be in 2030. That's not that far away. No, I'm kind of surprised. I'm surprised she only got 40 years. I really am. Jeff was remarried in 2016 while out on bond. What? Yeah, I heard he Who the hell would marry him? I had read that he was a bit of a player. Like, he had a lot of women going at the same time. And he's like the fat, like, Pillsbury Doughboy kind of guy. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. No, it doesn't. But I mean... Charming tubby. He charmed the pants off a lot of women. Ooh. There we go. I wonder if they were like screaming at each other as they're in the court trying to out tell on each other. And she's like, you're not that good in cab instead of in bed. Oh my gosh. Here's a Daniel joke. Jeff was remarried in 2016 while out on bond and will be up for parole consideration in 2023. That is in two years. Wow. That is nothing. Another smoking gun in this case was the fast food. Investigators thought there's no way this woman is going to get fast food from Milo's and not eat the French fries hot. Everyone knows the French fries taste better hot. Ain't nobody in Alabama going to let that food get cold before they eat it. Oh, right there. That's perfect facts. It's the smoking French fry. Sure. Here's another thing. There was plenty of lunch meat and orange juice in the refrigerator. You can never have too much orange juice and lunch meat, though. I saw photos of the contents of their refrigerator, and there was tons of meat and tons of orange juice. So there was no need for Cindy to go to the grocery store. So Cindy is saying that Jeff killed Michael while she was out at the grocery store. Jeff is saying that Cindy killed Michael right when they got home from getting fast food. Gotcha. I'm actually torn on who could have shot Michael. Both Cindy and Jeff had motive and opportunity. But because of the downward trajectory, unless Cindy made him get on his knees before she shot him, then it had to have been Jeff because Jeff was the only one tall enough to do it. I also wonder where the gun is. It's on the side of the road, isn't it? That's what Jeff said. Jeff said he threw it out from the cab of his truck, but nobody's ever found the gun. And they've searched in that whole area trying to find the gun. Wow. And then my other question is, is there video from the gas station to see their exchange that night 
or like a timestamp on the video. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on the kind of gas station and all that stuff. It may not be that. Yeah, because I'd love to see if there's actual footage of her handing him an item, not just the $15, but handing him like a bulky item, then that means that she did it. Yeah. I'm stumped on this one. I didn't solve it. I think she's guilty. I think I think they both knew what was going on and one or the other shot him, but they both deserve. But you can't to be decide Im- who actually pulled the trigger. Right. I can't decide who actually pulled the trigger. They're both where they should be. I think that the sentences are not long enough. Oh, and here's another thing. So her first husband shot himself in the head in the basement, right? Right. We didn't even really talk about that. Well, because there's no information about it. The police opened back up the investigation and said there was no information or there was no... They had nothing to go on. They had nothing to go... They could not build a case on whether or not she actually murdered her first husband. That's a good point. So when she doesn't get her way, she just gets rid of the um, what she doesn't want. Does her family have that much control over her that instead of getting a divorce, she'd rather kill her husbands? No. Who cares? What's it going to matter? Exactly. She has to live with herself now. She does. And I hope any man that she <laughs> dates when she gets out of prison looks her up. Google her name. Google her name and then think, is, uh, is it worth it? Because it's not. Well, they should forgive her. Move on, oh, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. All right. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Yeah. If you like our little humble podcast, please go rate and review us. Five stars. Till Death Do Us Part podcast on Instagram. Our website, com, And, of course, YouTube, True Crime Podcast, Till Death Do Us Part. You got to say in order. Till Death Do Us Part, a true crime podcast on YouTube. Email us at till death do us part at att.net. And um, someday we're going to do a quickie with our listeners. Someday. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. So if you hear something or you want us to cover something, we could do that for sure. Yes. And if you have any case recommendations, a few of you have sent those to me and it's lovely. Thank you. Please do that. Yeah, if there's a certain kind of case that's more interesting, because we're always picking stuff we think is interesting, Mm -hmm. or actually you are, I guess I'm not. I can't take credit for that. I have all the control. Anyway, so if there is a particular type of case that's more interesting to you than others, certainly give us a shout out in some form or fashion, and then we can look at that and try and do more. Be careful. For marriage is a life sentence.